You are listening to Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast with Diogo Custodio. If this is your first time listening, then thanks so much for coming. Get ready and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast. My name is Diogo. Today, our guest is Brian Edcock. He is the man behind the Castle Triathlon Theories, and today he will give us an insight on how a race organization works. Brian, welcome to our podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Diogo. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure for us. Um, for those who don't know, Castle Triathlon Series is a, is a group of events, uh, mostly uh, triathlons. I believe you guys have also some running events too. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. we've got a running festival at Penzas Place and then an obstacle course race at Hever Castle, both of which are within about five minutes of my door step. So, um, yeah, I like to keep it local if I can. <laughs> That's perfect. Ryan, tell me something. How did you get involved with triathlon? Well, um, I guess it's a fairly sort of longish story, but um, many years ago I went to Loughborough University, um, which is uh, and was a big sports university. Um, I went there to play rugby and then got injured. And so um, I started looking for another sport to get involved in. And actually, it wasn't triathlon that I fell upon, but I became a water polo player and played that for university and went to the World Student Games and um, just, you know, had a, had a brilliant time um, as a water polo player. But um, it meant that I got back in the swimming pool, having been a, a swimmer at a young age, um, but I started swimming again. And then I always um, did a lot of running and I got a bike and I thought, you know what, I am basically a triathlete. I just haven't ever done one. So I started training with the Loughborough triathletes who used to use some of our swim time at the Loughborough pool. Um, and, um, you know, got on reasonably well with it. And, uh, um, I guess the pinnacle of my own triathlon career was racing at, um, the Bath triathlon. And, um, I'm not quite sure where I finished overall, but I know I came third out of the water behind, uh, Spencer Smith and, um, Simon Lessing, who basically wow. won the race. But I, I then went backwards through the field, um, after that point in time, but I was a good swimmer and, um, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. So then I, I kind of left triathlon alone for a while, joined the Marines, um, and then set my own business up having left the Marines when I was about 30. And, um, for the first, uh, 10 years, we didn't have anything to do with triathlon. We did quite a few running events and got involved in quite a lot of sports events, but I was lucky enough that I live very close to Heber Castle and they had a new estate manager called Duncan Leslie, who wanted to basically sort of update the, the events program at the estate and he wanted to have a triathlon there and then just by a quirk of fate I was put in touch with him and um, Castle Series was born so um, yeah we started there in 2009 and we've been going for this is our 12th year basically um, and it will be the 13th time that we put Heber on in September so um, and, um, yeah. how many races you organize right now? Uh, so it, under the um, Castle Race Series banner, there's a total of eight, which is basically six triathlon and multi-sport weekends. And then we do a running festival at Penthouse Place, which is just up the road, and a um, obstacle race at Heber Castle, again, which is just up the road. Okay. And um, tell me something. Well, we, as you know, of course, as you know, we're living in a very odd um, time in terms of with the pandemic, with COVID situation. Um, how was for you guys last year when you had to deal with so many cancellations in terms of events or delays or yeah. I mean, there was a huge stress? How was it for you? It was a bit messy, but, um, you know, we, 
like everybody else, we were going along quite nicely, taking um, sort of record entries up until that fateful day on March the 22nd, where everything just completely stopped. And so um, we didn't take a bean for a while. So after you know a bit of momentary panic and cancelling direct debits and mortgages and whatever else left, right and centre, um, it all sort of settled down. The government came up with a sensible sort of scheme. And so that scheme and the various loans that we've been able to access kind of, you know, put us, you know, this is still money that we owe, obviously, um, in some instances, but um, put us on a, a more secure financial footing to get through last year. And then luckily for us, we just had a very sweet spot around the Heaver event, which is our biggest and most profitable event in September, where we were actually able to put the event on. Not as big as it normally is, but still we had 4,000 people taking part. So uh, we made some money and, and that basically saw us through the winter. And, um, you know, we're, we're looking good for 2021. We've got our full race program lined up. The only event that we've had to move is the Irish one because both the Irish and the French are quite a long way behind the UK in terms of their vaccination programs. And so um, they... Well, that Irish one has been moved into September, but um, our program should start in earnest at Chumley Castle on the 19th and 20th of June. So we're really looking forward to getting out there again and um, you know putting the events on, albeit they'll be in a socially distanced way for, for this summer. Um, and I know that's one of your questions going forward, but um, you know we are really lucky in that the castle venues themselves are massive. And so we've got an enormous amount of space. So it's really just a question of managing the um, the the space that we've got to make it work so that it, it's socially distanced. But, you know, we've got good daylight hours and lots of space. So there's no reason why we have to limit our capacity as such. We just spread the day out so that it starts earlier and finishes later than it otherwise would. Mm -hmm. What have been, well, what were the main changes you had to, to do in order to organize a race uh, during this period? Um, yeah. I believe that compared to 2019, for example. Yeah. It's going to be quite different for you or for your team to organize something. Um, yeah, sure. Have been been there any huge changes or? Um... Yeah, and and some of them um, for the better. So we took the view that we would control the numbers of people and the time that they arrived at the event. So we were going to try and restrict the amount of time that they had prior to their race starting, and then when they complete their race, again we try and restrict the amount of time that they stay on site. So. It's not brilliant for the traders and for the festival side of what we do, but um, by and large, it's, it, it worked pretty well and people um, you know, were, were prepared and, and happy to kind of work within the bounds that we're putting on them. So, um, for example, when everybody turns up in their car parks now, they all come through um, a main entry point where they get their temperature checks, they have a bunch of health, health check questionnaires, and they're actually not allowed into the event until an hour before their start time. So... Um, it meant that the flow through the registration area and through transition was a lot calmer than it normally is because everybody was that much more strung out. And people, you know, really valued that, particularly when, you know, quite a few people quite rightly were a little bit um, uh, concerned around the whole social distancing thing. And they didn't want to be in a space that was, you know, had a lot of people rammed into it just because they'd all turned up at the same time. So we were able to control that, which was good. Obviously, transition has to be a lot bigger under social distancing rules, which is a real estate issue. So it costs more, basically, and it's more difficult to manage. But because we've got the space, we're able to do that. So um, that was another slight change. And then, obviously, at the swim start, rather than having mass starts, we had to have individual starts. Um, 
And again, that's something that we've kept on and will keep on for this year. So um, I wouldn't say that mass starts are a thing of the past, but we're certainly going to start off the program with individual starts at Chumley Castle and then see where the rest of the summer takes us and what the regulations are, um, you know, and what we feel comfortable with. But going forward, we'll probably always have a, um, mass starts over here. And then if you want to do an individual start, then you can tick a box over here and you'll go probably after the mass starts have gone. And some people prefer that. They'd rather not get kicked in the face. But um, yeah. You know. And what, um, what about the public? How are how you thinking about uh, controlling the public that goes with So we're, we're restricting each competitor to one spectator. Um, and then a couple of weeks out from the event, if not everybody is bringing a, a single spectator, then we'll open that out so that people can bring more spectators. Um, that worked really well at uh, Heber Castle last year. And um, I can see that working okay again this summer. But again, you know, we'll see what the legislation says and what we're allowed to do. We're, we are blessed with large open spaces at all of these venues, so capacity is not really an issue for us. Mm -hmm. So, actually, well, I think you have also at the same time you have to believe in the common sense of those who go. Yeah, yeah, no, very much so, you know, and, you know, we back that up in all our comms, all our signage on the event, our commentators, all of my event staff, you know, everybody is reinforcing the message around social distancing. So, um, yeah, we had some Fantastic feedback from our Hebrew event in September, um, and I'm you know, having put that on for 4,000 people. I'm very confident that um, you know we can do that again at each of the different venues through the series this summer. Mm -hmm. um, tell me something, Brian. Well, I have been part of some race organizing, um, and I know how big is a machine to put a race up and how to make it work. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what is behind a, a race organization? Because it's not just a person uh, that is giving the the, the face to the to the crowd yeah but there are so many aspects that you need to take in account when you have to organize something yeah can you tell, tell, tell us a little bit about it please yeah sure i mean you know a big part of it is all the preparation and planning that goes into it and um you know we've been doing these events now for 10 years and so each year the preparation and planning gets a little bit easier because we don't tend to change suppliers very often and where possible, we don't change the routes. We keep everything the same, but we just add and improve little elements of the event each year. So um, I guess that's one key factor. Um, but, you, you know, you can plan an event till you're blue in the face. But actually, when you turn up on site and you start putting the event up and then things happen around you, the race goes live, you have to have a good management structure in place so that you can respond to pretty much every eventuality from, you know, strong winds on a certain part of the course that means that you have to change the cycle route through to some pollution in the river, which means that you have to, at very short notice, change from a triathlon to a duathlon or mist on the lake, as we had at Loch Coutre about five years ago, where, again, we had to change very short notice from a triathlon to a duathlon. So I guess I'm blessed. I, I um I was in the Marines for a few years, so um, I had some good kind of military training in that respect. And a lot of the guys that work for me have worked for me for the last 10 years. And they're either um, ex or, or actually serving Marines as well. So we kind of all speak the same language. And, um, you know, it is a, a bit of a military operation over the course of the weekend. But, um, you know, we're not we're not ashamed of that in any way, shape or form. I think it's a real, you know, a really strong part of what we do. So, um, yeah. No, we enjoy it. And we enjoy it. I guess that's part of it. You know, we everybody enjoys putting the events on. We really missed them last summer. My kids missed our, our events because they all they always come along to the events and get stuck in and help and race and everything else. You know, they're 
a big happenings. They've got they've got soul. <laughs> How many people you have in the in the team working for each event, for example? Yeah, so um, it, it depends on the size of the event, but um, you know, at the smaller events, we might have um, a core staff of forty, and then um, probably another eighty volunteers on top of that. Um, whereas somewhere like Heber Castle in September, on any of the given days, we'll have two hundred people working on the event. So um, you know, they're they're quite big beasts, but um, we've got a good management structure in place. So you know, it never. It doesn't feel really any different from being the race director of a smaller event like Loch Coutre in Ireland to a great big massive one at um, Heber Castle, which has you know six and a half thousand competitors and probably ten thousand spectators. So um, yeah, that's no, good. It's funny that when we race, we we have no idea what's behind every every event. Um, how much do you think the COVID nineteen will affect the future of races and the future of triathlon? Um, I mean, it's the great unknown, isn't it? But um, I think that venues like ours will be at a premium because we have got space, and so capacity is not limited for us, um, which is which is good. I think that um, you know we're gonna we're gonna have to live with social distancing for the foreseeable future, um, which in some respects is a is a negative for triathlon, but um, in other respects. You know, we talked about not everybody likes a mass start, and and that sort of thing that gets adopted into the into the system is um, is a good thing. And um, you know, we do online video briefings now before people turn up to the events. That's a big part of of the social distancing side of things, so that I'm not constantly having to brief people when they turn up at the start of the swim. They kind of all know what they're doing, and I just brief what they can see in front of them in terms of the swim and then brief by exception. So that, that sort of thing we'll carry on doing going forward. So, um, you know, whilst we'd much rather be back to as it was with everybody rubbing shoulders and staying in the village and enjoying music and the festival side of the event, we know that for you know at least a couple of years, this is it's probably not going to be the case. And, um, you know, people will come and race because they love triathlon and the, the festival side of things will just have to take a bit of a backseat. I agree with you. Um, tell me something, Brian. Um, I don't know if it happens is the same in the UK, but what happens here in Portugal is that sometimes there is a local race that is so 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 good that those big brands that we know—I'm not going to say any names—but um, <laughs> yeah. they go to the places and they just buy the race uh, to the race organizer and they start doing that um, that race in the place. Aren't you afraid of that happens uh, with one of your events? So. Um... No, I'm not afraid because I have got very good relations with all of the venues that I work at. And um, I guess um, the castle owners are very old school um, and, you know, they they have a much longer term view over how they, you know, who they partner with and how they spend their money. So, um, no, they're not into making a quick buck. They'd rather have a long term relationship that, um, you know, enables the partner to grow and the castle to benefit because of that growth. Um, and all of them have much bigger operations, which involve day visitors. And so the triathlon is a very small part of what they do. Um, but it's important to them that it looks good and feels good and, uh, and kind of matches what the castle's trying to do. So no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried, but, um, yeah, let's see what happens. <laughs> I was just trying to tease you up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, so tell me something. If I well, if I am in a place where we have a castle, um, 
how can someone get in touch with you if they want to organize something? So, um, yeah, we've got a website and our contact details are on there. So basically castletriathlonseries.co.uk. Check out the contact um, section of the website and um, my email address is down there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's how the Irish event started because the um, owner, Susie Gwynne-Jones, um, had a couple of sons that were into triathlon and one of them wanted to put a triathlon on in the castle out in Ireland. And they just emailed me. So I was going to a wedding in Ireland that summer. And then we went from the wedding down to visit the castle and decided that it was such a good spot that we needed to put our own event on there. So, yeah. And now, Bring it on. Uh, we got yeah. one in Portugal. That's what I'm going to ask you now because we have so many castles in Portugal, um, yeah. as you may know. Um, I was going to ask you when we're going to have one of the Castle Tribes Rehousing series uh, here in Portugal. You find me a castle, mate, and I'll be there in a flash. <laughs> well, I have an idea of a lot of castles. Just a castle, yeah. is that what you need, or um, something else? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in the UK and Ireland and France, we have lake swims. And um, lake swims are the, uh, you know, are the sort of holy grail, because invariably you don't have any problems with weather or tide or all of those other things that come into play when you have um, a sea swim. And so um, I know that Ironman, for example, in Ireland are very envious of our venue at Locutra um, because it seems like every time they try and put on an event out in, uh, in Ireland and they've been to Dublin, to Cork, up to um, Galway, they've always had problems with the swim because of the weather and, you know, tides and everything else. So, yeah, ideally it would be a lake, but Southern Europe, I know it's difficult because... Um, Yeah, getting a lake in the grounds of a castle is, is difficult when there isn't much rainfall, right? Yeah. So, uh, it might have to be a sea swim in a nice bay somewhere. If you haven't been in Portugal, trust me, we have some nice places where you can see or you can swim in the sea. It's very Beautiful. flat and uh, safe. Yeah. Uh, at least compared to the UK. Where do you see the castle try in 10 years' time? Um, well, I would like to have added some more castles. Um, And the obvious place to go is Southern Europe because we can extend the season beyond September, obviously, if we go down there. So um, ideally, I'd like a Southern European castle in, uh, in October um, and um, maybe one earlier in the year if we, can, if we can pull it off in May. So, yeah, um, and we would grow all of the events organically. You know, so Hever Castle is, is the biggest, second biggest triathlon in the country. Um, But Castle Howard and Chumley Castle have got much bigger grounds. They could be much bigger triathlons. You know, I could get 10, 15,000 triathletes through each of those venues over the course of a weekend. So we've got a lot of growth to do organically within the existing events. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just remembering that a lot of people is hungry for racing. Uh, but at, yeah. at the same time, I would say that the same amount of people that are hungry, we have the same amount that is scared of racing at this moment. Yeah. What piece of advice can you give to those who are still in doubt if they, if they should race or not? Yeah, well, I mean, it, they're obviously doing a lot of test events in the UK in May, lots of mass participation where they're going to, you know, they'll know the field before the event, they test them and then they test them after the event. So I think by the end of May, we'll be in a better position. But, you know, all of the evidence at the moment is saying that it's very difficult to pass on COVID outdoors. And so, um, You know, that, that obviously stands in our favor. 
And then I'd say to those other guys, you know, pick pick your events because some some organisers have the capacity to put on a, a properly socially distanced event and they put the infrastructure in place and they do all the propping, proper cleaning that's required. They add in all the additional hand wash stations um, and they've just got the ability to put in everything that you need. Whereas perhaps some of the smaller guys or the newer guys to market um, are still sort of struggling or not so much struggling, but they're still kind of learning their trade as it were. So, you know, I, in a way, I would stick with guys that have been around a little bit longer and uh, and are perhaps a bit more experienced at putting these things on. They're not easy events to put on in the first place, but um, you know, to put them on and put all the social distance measure, measures in place as well is no mean feat. So um, you know, choose choose your race wisely if you're if you're concerned. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, aren't you afraid that we know that the economy is not going to be the same uh, with all the situation that is happening right now? that getting a sponsor to help you out organizing the events is going to be harder than it is right now? Well, all I can say on that is, and I, I can't um, I can't go public with this yet, but it doesn't seem to have affected us at the moment. We're, we're about to announce a couple of new sponsors. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it seems to be okay. I think it depends which industry that the, the sponsor is in. depends on, on how well they, they've done um, over the last year or so. So, you know, if you're out there looking for sponsorship, don't don't think it's a, a lost cause because there's people with money who've, who've made good money through the pandemic, as, as we know. Yeah. I've never raced Castle Try. I'm looking forward to do one of the races. Um, good. Hopefully one day in Portugal or France, Ireland or UK. Um, I did a few races already with this pandemic and I have to tell you that it's safe. Uh, I felt safe. Good. And I believe that you guys are going to organize something that is safe for everyone. and It's going to be fun. And that's something that we need. Um, I wish you all of the best um, with the future of Castle Try. I know that you, we yeah. have been working together in terms of um, getting athletes with training plans. So yeah. I hope that those who are training with us for your races are going to be so well prepared. Yeah. Um, and I thank you so much once again for this um, this chat. We, we, it was quite interesting to see how it is the other side of uh, racing um, that we, the athletes or the coaches, don't know now well uh, we just see things happening from one day to the other but it, there is a huge machine behind it as you know yeah sure so brian thank you so so much anytime diogo and i look forward to seeing you down in southern portugal very soon in a sunny place <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much brian no worries bye-bye see you later cheers the believe strive achieve podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and show notes are found at trytrainingharder.com Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Try Training Harder. Thanks for listening.